to another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Welcome to another episode of the Unicorns Podcast, where we delve into the minds behind transformative innovations that are shaping our world. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be speaking with Shane Muller, the visionary CEO and founder of SafeWatch, which is a groundbreaking app that is set to change the mental health landscape here in Australia and eventually overseas. With alarming rates of anxiety and depression plaguing communities globally, Shane's journey of entrepreneurship has led him to develop SafeWatch, an ingenious solution aimed at addressing the critical factors of isolation, connectedness, and prevention. His commitment to fostering human connections and supporting mental well-being shines through SafeWatch's unique features, which seamlessly blend technology with compassionate care. Shane's passion for mental health advocacy and technology innovation has propelled SafeWatch to the forefront of the industry by championing a village approach to mental wellness Shane and his team have created a platform that empowers users to embark on journeys towards improved mental health, all while fostering a sense of togetherness and support. In this episode, we'll explore the inspiration behind SafeWatch, its key features, and the impact it's poised to make in combating social isolation and destigmatizing mental health challenges. Shane Muller, welcome to the program. Hello, Justin. Okay, can you share, Shane, with us the inspiration behind the creation of SafeWatch and how it addresses the many issues in the mental health ecosystem? Absolutely. The inspiration around mental wellness and then addressing this, Justin, started, I would say, pre-pandemic, 2019, when I looked at the uh, alarming statistics of mental wellness challenges and issues at that time, what got my attention was the rate of growth of this challenge uh, here in Australia and throughout the world. And with that added on the fact that it appeared very, very silent. Uh, you were not able to tell if someone was currently challenged with, say, some form of anxiety or depression or, or what have you. Uh, those two points uh, really was the reason uh, why um, why I embarked to actually set out. I wouldn't call it Safe Watch because it didn't it wasn't called that back then. Didn't exist. Yes, exactly. Literally set out to create something to solve this challenge that exists here locally and around the world. It's that silent aspect. You've come up with the concept. You've thought about it hard. How did you go from that initial, I've got an idea, I want to do something that is going to change people's lives to create that into an actual living, breathing business? Great question. I'm a huge advocate and fan of uh, knowing purpose behind doing things. Uh, said another way, being able to answer the big why. Um, I said, I mentioned this uh, point in 2019. So at the start of 2020, I took literally 12 months 
to sit on, brew, simmer. Marinate. Yeah, absolutely. The one topic called why or what's the purpose? Why do this? Um, I often spend a lot of time on the on the topic for why because why at the end of the day, you, you need that uh, purpose because when you hit some rough terrain, that answer is actually the fuel to get you past uh, the, the tough seasons. Um, so having spent a whole why, I actually looked at this landscape and a couple of things uh, came out in the research I did. The first one was, you know, when people experience uh, a, a challenge with reference to mental wellness and on the very, very extreme end, it is unfortunate that uh, many people choose to exit uh, life and, and to suicide. Now, what I did was I didn't actually looked, uh, uh, look at necessarily the causes, but I looked at what happens after someone chooses to exit. And one of the uh, few themes that came up was the people who were around, their dearest, closest friends and family, best mates, etc. when they were asked a question figuratively, you know, what happened? The most common phrase that came up was, I had no idea. Or a variation to that would be, I didn't think it was that bad. Or a third one, I wish I knew. That's exactly right. I wish I knew is something that really is a very huge burden for someone to carry for the rest of their life, questioning what signs or cues they, they may have missed. And these signs or cues could be, you know, you sit next to a colleague for 10 years and one day they're gone and, and you know, you got to live with what on earth did I miss there? Or it could be someone in your own household and, and these things happen quite often. So that was the first point. The second point was these uh, people who would have that question, uh, I wish I knew, they didn't lack love or care. They simply missed the cues. Yeah, in its most simplest form, they missed the cues. So with that aspect, with those few points, you know, we literally picked that up and decided to use technology to build something whereby we could say, if someone uses SafeWatch, they will never, ever, ever have to say, I had no idea. They may have to live with, I didn't do anything, but not have to live with, I had no idea. And that was really the essence of starting SafeWatch. And that were, literally was one whole year on the you know year 2020. And then I think it was January 2021, I set out to form the, the WHO and the how and the what. And is that how you develop this whole notion of the the village approach in developing SafeWatch? Tell us about what you mean by the village approach, Shane. So I'll first explain the landscape of what I saw with reference to mental wellness apps in the marketplace. And I'll also explain uh, another piece of research uh, that came up, and that is when people start to gravitate to the risk end of the spectrum, when people start to really get challenged with uh, their mental wellness, two things uh, often come up. A, isolation in their life increases. And B, the use of tech increases. And, you know, scratching the surface, most tech, I would say, is pretty bad tech. You don't get tend to uh, typically go and spend two, three hours on tech and walk away going, life's fantastic. It doesn't typically happen like that. Tech has this very uh, luring ability, um, and the more it lures you, it also has this ability to almost to to, to numb you. Um, and I'm talking being drawn into tech for a long time, not 
using tech for education and other purposes. So the isolation was critical. Then when we looked at 1,500-odd apps in the marketplace, and there's a staggering amount of apps coming out every year in this space in mental wellness, most of them fit into about three dominant categories. The first one is uh, it is an app to do with uh, breathing, meditation, etc., which, by the way, there's sound science and, and, and reason for that, but a lot of it fits there. They're all worthwhile. Exactly. The second dominant category was sleeping, tools to help with sleep, similar to the first, but it's specifically on sleeping. And again, significant research shows that that actually is a, a huge uh, benefit. And the third category would be apps that provide information, education around a challenge. So you could have a questionnaire, but it'll actually help someone understand, ah, this is my anxiety I'm struggling from. You know, it, it's, it's almost like teaching uh, about and, and training about the challenge. So most of the apps seem to fit in those three categories. So what we uh, decided to do was we, we needed to address this aspect I mentioned before about isolation. In some of the uh, reviews we've done, isolation seems to be increasing and increasing, uh, especially at an opposite rate of, the, of people being connected out there. And when I say connected, I mean the popular term for connected, being through social media and, and being just connected with many, many people. So as more and more people are connected, we've seen that isolation keeps increasing. The number of people you're connected with has no uh, equal relationship to how non-isolated one person is. So what we set out to do was to address, A, fundamentally, that isolation aspect. Because as soon as people start to isolate, most people lose their grip or hold or ability to support someone. And by the way, you can be in the middle of a, uh, a, a... 40-person family lunch and feel very isolated. Uh, you know, it does not have to do with the, the, the immediate surrounding. You just could be isolated in, in, in two areas, in your heart and in your mind. Do you know what I mean? It, and it is a very uh, lonely place for people who, who actually go through that. So that's what we uh, needed to do. The second thing is we looked at the statistics here in Australia, which mirrored uh, much of the statistics overseas. In Australia, with over, say, four-plus million people at this time struggling from a mental wellness condition, and about 45,000 mental health practitioners in the country, that those two numbers, are uh, there's a huge uh, void between those two numbers. So we needed to come up with something to address this large net if, you know, there's four million-plus people struggling. What is the largest net out there uh, that we could use? So the concept of the village approach is what we adopted. Now, there's research commenced, uh, I believe it's King's College in the UK. And uh, that research says that if someone uh, is struggling from uh, a wellness condition and they do life in a community, they increase the speed of recovery by about 89 90%. That's the first point. The second point is if the person, if a person chooses to contain and remain in a community, the probability of them staying buoyant significantly increases. 
Uh, and as I mentioned, the opposite of community is that isolation. So we chose to go out there, adopt that concept, uh, which we call the village approach. It, it, it is essentially about allowing people and enabling them to build their village or their care community or their care world. Um, and through that, ensure that there is transparency, people have their back, and they're not in isolation with reference to how they're truly feeling. SafeWatch, Shane, is described as a transformative tool with many layers. Can you elaborate on some of those layers and how they contribute to the mental wellness of users? Absolutely. So the first one is, as I mentioned, the key element here is ensuring people capture the concept and value of building their village. And mind you, if a person only had two people in their village, that still works. Because the quantity of people, unlike social media where the number of followers or friends uh, typically means how, how, you know, how, how good you are, the quantity of people isn't the key when it comes to the village, but the caliber. So typically, one would have the following types of people in their village. A, people who know them, friends and family. B, sometimes they will have people who can help them if they are seeing a practitioner. Some people are not. And C, people who would get them, often very different to the first category, people who know them. Uh, and uh, if, if you want a good example, listen to many uh, parents' conversations with their teenagers. There's just a lot of, well, certainly from the, from the, from the adolescence point of view, you just don't get me. Uh, it is a very, very, very dominant thinking right now. Uh, in that space. So these are the types of people. So with reference to that first layer, it is an ability for people to, A, track how they're feeling. Now, the concept of tracking feelings in itself, that's not rocket science. But what we're doing here is being able to track your feelings for, for the first point, for one's own visual ability, for one themselves to learn the ups and downs that they go through, and in what area? That's the first point. The second point, it is to be able to share that with those who actually have your back, not the masters, not associate, but people who you would, uh, one person would be vulnerable with. So, in addition to that, these people in the village have an ability to actually share their observations on how you appear to them. And it's quite interesting, you know, if you, if you look at the statistics, you know, you might find that you're the average type of person might rate you in the workplace as a six, but why is it everyone in your home rating you as a three? And your best mates rate you as something else. It, it, and and it, it provides a very rich view of the different facets people have, or as I would say quite uh, boldly, it provides a rich view of the masks that people actually carry. Because it is easy to, you know, click your fingers and just go game on and get up on a stage or, you know, go, you know, go play that game and, you know, you're at your peak performance, but then drop afterwards. Yeah, what happens afterwards? It's the drop. And so what we found in our research, uh, especially with high performers and people who are of prominence, the image is really what people draw out of the person. 
and the image becomes very, very different to the authentic person themselves, to the point whereby that individual doesn't even have anyone to go to to share the real them, because the world demands to see the image of them, the star. So, Shane, the the app is designed, as I understand it, for three types of users. You've got the the individuals, the mental health professionals, and also trusted supporters. So how do they all interact? Can you give us an example of, you know, logging into the app, this is physically how it all works and comes together? Absolutely. I'll use a scenario of someone, you know, John Smith going and seeing his um, psychologist, Sharon, hypothetically. So firstly, John Smith would use the app on a daily basis, track John's feelings, moods, be able to enter some keywords for context to help John work out, you know, John's own patterns. That's point one. Point two, people in John's world, his village, these carers, as you call them, every time they engage with John in whatever manner, they have the ability to use the app. Very simple, uh, few clicks. We're talking less than a minute. It's uh, as if, if I'm talking to you, it'll take me less than a minute to go, I think, Justin's a, a seven or whatever the number is. It's as simple as that. The individual has to invite the his his or her trusted supporters to download the app, log in. Okay, yeah. Exactly. Once the individual has built their village and the inviting happens through a sharing of a QR code, you mm-hmm. can't barge in, you can't uh, force your way into anyone's village. Very good. Uh, yeah. You can't use advertising to get your name to be high on the list to entice mm-hmm. someone, like many of the social media platforms. It's yes. a very private, intimate uh, village and group. So these people are able to share how John is feeling based on their ab- observations. And then John goes and sees his psychologist, Sharon. Now, an example there, most professionals spend five to 20 minutes, and it depends on the, on the scenario, but often five to 20 minutes with the opening question, so how was the last three weeks? It's tough for someone to remember that if they're not struggling, uh, it really is tough. How do you summarize? You know, and and what they choose to highlight uh, is typically uh, may or may not be the the ideal point. So there's a lot of time wasted at that start. Here, John and his professional uh, Sharon, she's able to actually look at the data pre John walking in, literally like a stock ticker, be able to see the last three weeks or six weeks, see patterns. How's John been tracking? What's what? How are people in John's world rating? How how has John been rated by other people who are actually there where Sharon is not? And Sharon's able to go pinpoint. Okay, John, let's talk about Thursday the seventeenth, four o'clock. You, you hit a two there, and you you know you you said it's to do with uh, relational issues. Just let's talk about that. You know, you're able to really be very focused, um, which is very very powerful. We've had um, patience. Uh, with, with lived experience, patients tell us when they go and see a, a, a counselor, they don't actually want to remember last Thursday when it was really bad because it was such a dark place. They actually want, they'd rather not talk about it. So with this tool, they're able to literally capture it in the moment and then pass by. So essentially, Sharon, that psychologist, ends up having John's view, but she's got all these camera angle lenses from everyone in John's village. Each camera paints a very different 
and collectively. Uh, I should point out, we're talking about a metaphorical camera. <laughs> Agree. A figurative camera. Essentially. But yeah, so it paints a very rich picture with reference to how patient John is going. So that's that, that's that point. The next one, most professionals would give a patient what's called a care plan. You know, you need to, I recommend you do certain activities at this frequency, go read this, et cetera, et cetera, whatever the, the scenario dictates. Now, most of the time, a lot of patients maybe think they might th- have, remember that, they might write on a, a note, what, whatever they may do with that. But now, with SafeWatch, that care plan actually is saved within SafeWatch digitally, and it's in your pocket everywhere you go for patient John. Furthermore, let's take one scenario. Let's go, uh, psychologists, go do some activities. Uh, go do uh, walking three times a week and uh, you know you need to go to the cinema once a month. I'm just hypo- as hypotheticals. Now, let's take uh, the concept of the body. You know, if someone says to you go to the gym, you've got to be quite disciplined to go to the gym. But if your body knocks on your door at 6 a.m., the chance of you going is significantly higher. That's true. So the people in the village, John's able to share activities with people in his village who are uh, not only the, uh, there to support him, but they end up being accountability buddies to help John get on and do something like an activity. Uh, and that then increases the chance of John doing it. Then there's another observation point uh, for that person in the village to share how they're feeling. And essentially what happens here, uh, and as one of our uh, health practitioners said, they finally now with SafeWatch, the burden of care no longer rests solely on their shoulders, where they would see a patient once every three weeks for 50 minutes. Now they can le- essentially solicit or enlist their patient's village to be scaffolding to support the patient for all the, the time that they're not in the clinical setting and then give them tools and techniques and help, help essentially that small care community come around and assume the responsibility keep an eye keep tabs on john i want to ask you shane about how safewatch ensures privacy and data security i'm sure this has come up before so give us a sense of how all of this information is protected absolutely so there is an aspect of security uh, and there's an aspect of privacy Um, We say to the marketplace that we keep your data private, including from us. And that's a very, very critical aspect. Now, I'll I'll take a step back. My background is in technology, and and there's a lot I could speak about, which I won't uh, right now around cybersecurity. But if you look at it, you know, billion-dollar businesses are being uh, they've been brought to their knees with cybercrime and, and exposure of data. Uh, you know, th- those who are actually spending good dollars to protect it, it still happens out there. And it's very, if you look at the rate of growth of uh, cyber breaches, it, uh, it, it's, it's staggering. And it'll be only a matter of time. And I say this um, with all care, but it's only a matter of time before mental wellness apps start to get breached. And I feel that's going to lead to some uh, catastrophic uh, outcomes because um, it's not that there's uh, financial or other type of information, but it is something that 
it's vulnerable data to people. So uh, we decided to build something that is very disruptive within the marketplace. We decided to build something whereby no one has access to data other than each individual. Uh, even our senior administrators and development team cannot access data that's saved on the system. We've created uh, a unique composable key technology that writes data to something called an IPFS network, interplanetary file system, that then intermittently pegs that to a blockchain. Now, said another way, every time someone registers, they create their key with no backup key. If someone's locked out, they can't call us. I, and I only know one company on the planet that has something similar to this, and that will be Bitcoin, where even the technical people can't get in. If we're subpoenaed, we can't get in because we don't have access to Justin's data. Justin chooses if he wants to share something with Shane or not, or with his GP or not. Justin chooses, and the data is spread. So the, so the power the power's with the user. We're literally putting privacy in the individual's hands with no uh, backdoor in to their journal, to their feelings, to their mood, the, to their most intimate information. I'm keen to know how the app is going. Uh, it's it's not long been launched into market. What has the user experience been? What are what are both individuals saying about the app? What are healthcare professionals saying about the app? And what what are those within uh, the the supporter network of an individual? What's their reaction been? Absolutely. So we. Only just launched uh, at the end of the year, which was a very interesting time because uh, a lot of uh, things happened in the Christmas-January break, uh, certainly in Australia, that is not normal throughout the rest of the year. With reference to the feedback we've had, and, uh, and I'll clarify this, this is feedback that we've received uh, directly because we don't have access to the data to give feedback based on usage. But the, we've had feedback. Uh, one example is uh, a mum shared to a health practitioner about her, I think she was a 13-year-old uh, daughter, said, do you know what? Now it's safe watch. For the first time ever, I actually know how my daughter's feeling, which was actually quite remarkable uh, to actually have that feedback. The We've had another patient say, oh, just actually not a patient, they were a user. Using SafeWatch, finally, I'm actually able to see where I'm at. This is someone trying to gain self-awareness. They're finally able to see where they're at and then actually see these swings of ups and downs, uh, which is quite staggering. We've had uh, health practitioners uh, that we've spoken to come back and say the concept uh, with reference to the village is 100% spot on. It is a significant enabler to a practitioner. It doesn't take away from them but it gives them so much enablement to ensure that care once the person leaves their clinical room is sustained and not just within the clinical setting. We've had uh, some government health uh, agencies uh, uh, liaising with us, uh, seeking to actually roll this out for a lot of primary health care Provided. So we've actually had quite a few positive feedback points in, in a very short time since we've launched. 
and and mind you, we have we ha- we didn't do a, a major uh, boost of awareness to let the world know we've launched either. In terms of the, let's just say someone is listening to this podcast and they'd like to download the app uh, and start using it. What is that user experience? What is the workflow, Shane, for an individual to get started on SafeWatch? How does that happen? Absolutely. So right now, if someone wants to trial the app, you go to the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. You search SafeWatch. You'll see a SafeWatch similar with a logo uh, of SafeWatch. You, you download the app. Once you've downloaded it, you click register, and you can register today as two different types of uh, personas, as we call them. One is a typical user, which is what, what most people re- register as, or the second is a health professional. So let's say someone downloads it, registers as a user, they put in a name, pins, etc., etc. And uh, and that's it. It takes, depending on the internet, it'll take a minute to download and register. It's very simple. Once they've done that, then um, the key aspect is to build their village. So they go to a best mate, a, a family, a sister, whomever, and say, hey, download this. They do the same thing. It takes less than a minute. Once two plus people have the app, it's a matter of, one person inviting the other to connect. You click on a button called connect and invite someone to join your village. And how you do that is one person has a camera, one person has a QR and you scan a QR. Uh, thankfully, I shouldn't say it thankfully, but I will. Now that uh, with COVID, QRs and the QR scanning is certainly not a foreign concept. Everyone knows how to do that. 2019 might have been a bit different. So you literally scan a QR and as soon as that's done, that person's part of your village. And you start bu- you start building from from there. You start building your village from there. A then you start tracking your feelings. Villagers can start tracking their observations of feelings. You can start creating activities. There's some uh, learning material on certain topics, etc. Same thing. You go and see a health uh, practitioner. It's a QR scan with your health practitioner. The practitioner is not sharing their email address or mobile phone or any private information. Um, they're literally scanning a QR to get connected. It is not a backdoor in to always talk to a practitioner. It is a means for a practitioner to deliver uh, the care plan and see the insights on the patient. And what happens in the event, Shane, that someone hasn't quite progressed to seeing a healthcare professional, but they would like to explore the app? Can they Can they start that process without already having a, a professional off to the side and, and talking and dealing with them? So we have a version that we call SafeWatch for you. There is SafeWatch for practitioners, but not everyone um, has a health practitioner. As a matter of fact, most don't. In Australia, the average wait time for a practitioner is about six months. That's a long time to wait when you really need someone. Too long. It is. Uh, I have also found out in uh, certain countries overseas, I, as a matter of fact, I just came back from uh, Hong Kong, the average wait time for health practitioner there is 130 weeks, which is staggering. It's unbelievable. It, it's just a demonstration of the gap, the, the size of the problem versus the, the, the army of people who actually can address this challenge being health practitioners. But going back to it, so a person can download the app. 
we have had feedback saying when someone's waiting for a practitioner, if they start using SafeWatch, track their feelings and do all of these things, the day they see their practitioner, they ca- it's almost like here I'm bringing an entire logbook with to you. Here's my folder. <laughs> exactly. Here's my tax return. Absolutely. They straight away are able to gain some very, very, very rich insights straight away. That's number one. Number two, we have had some clinical practitioners say, you know what, instead of a, and this is this was a, a consideration, it wasn't a decision. They said, instead of doing uh, the FIFA model, which is, you know, I have this list of 30 people waiting on a wait list, take the top one from the list all the time. If they use SafeWatch, we can do it triage based on the patterns of what we see, which is very powerful. So a final question uh, to you, Shane, and I could, I could talk to you, to you for hours on this. In, in what ways do you see SafeWatch contributing to the broader conversation surrounding mental health awareness and the destigmatization of mental health? The stigma element, Justin, is a genuine challenge we have out there in the marketplace. Um, there's a lot of voices out there on all sorts of platforms and stages uh, about, you know, raise the challenge, uh, raise the awareness, talk about your problems, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of talk about that. Um, it, interestingly, it's tough to ask someone in certain settings to come out and talk about a wellness problem you're having. Maybe in a home setting, a best friend setting, absolutely. I'll give, take two examples. In the context of a workplace setting, the stigma is significant. It's, it's challenging and it's significant. Uh, or in the context of uh, another example be in politics. You know, how, how could you say to an MP, if you're struggling with severe depression, anxiety, just come out and say it. The challenge is the system of politics doesn't have a place for that person who comes out and says that. That's true. The establishment of politics doesn't have a pigeonhole or a place for that. The fabric and the establishment of the workplace, it's challenging as well. Because as good and important as it is to come out and speak about it, doing so for someone who's focused on growing in their career, seeking more responsibilities or seeking more pay, that's a tough conversation to have at the same time as I'm struggling. It really is going to be a tough conversation. And, and, and most people uh, in the workplace approach this as a very high care factor, not, okay, what more a responsibility and promotion and pay can I give you? So the stigma is a genuine challenge. Now, how we are addressing that, uh, Justin, is not by going after this aspect of stigma because our view is it might even take a generation because there's so much embedded within the system. But what we're doing is we're focusing on people building resilience and mental fitness. Focusing on resilience building and mental fitness doesn't have a a negative stigma. As a matter of fact, it's quite positive. It's like having a personal trainer. It doesn't matter how one looks. If they say they have a personal trainer, most people think, wow, okay, you're going somewhere or, you know, fantastic. Things are looking up. Yes. Exactly. So we're addressing this from a mental fitness and a mental um, uh, resilience aspect. That's how we're addressing this, um, working around the stigma. Shane Muller, founder and CEO of SafeWatch. We love what you're doing. It's a fantastic product. Best of luck 
on the rollout of SafeWatch. Well done on what you've created. Thank you for coming onto the show and your valued insights today. Good luck. Thank you, Justin.